0: This episode of Moving Forward Giving Back features a discussion that took place in January 2024 as part of the JP Morgan Healthcare Conference. A panel, Reputation Reboot Steps to Restoring Public Trust in the Biopharma Industry, brought together industry heavy hitters to tackle how we can enhance trust by demystifying our work, sharing empathy and information, and providing opportunity for communities to engage. Introduced by Rob Perez, the Founder and Chairman of Life Science Cares, and moderated by Jim Weiss, the Founder and Chairman of Real Chemistry, the multifaceted and dynamic discussion includes perspectives from Ted Love, the Chairman of Bio, Julie Gerberding, CEO of the Foundation for the National Institutes of Health, and a California State Senator, Josh Becker.
1: Good evening. I'm Rob Perez. I'm the founder and chairman of Life Science Cares. First of all, just want to say thank you to all of you for being here. For those of you who don't know uh, what Life Science Cares is, Life Science Cares is essentially our industry's way of giving back to the broader community. So we essentially aggregate resources, both human and financial, and we deploy those resources through the best nonprofits working in three areas. One is access to basic human needs stuff, so hunger, homelessness, opioid addiction, health equity, et cetera. The second is access to education, and the third is access to economic opportunity, so nonprofits that work to kind of break the cycle of poverty. We started back in Boston about seven years ago, and we're now operating in five cities, Boston, San Diego, Philadelphia, New York, and Bay Area. And we also have a fledgling effort in Switzerland that's just getting started. So right. Life Science Cares is going international. We have an amazing panel here. I think there's an absolutely great connection between what we can do in the community and what the industry's reputation can be. So I'm really looking forward to hearing from the panel. One quick commercial before we start. There is a fund that's being raised here at JP Morgan. The Gilead Foundation is actually matching funds that we raise here in the organization. So if you haven't, yes. And Gilead will match up to $250,000 of what we raise here at the meeting. So if you haven't donated yet, you can look at one of my 700 social media tweets and and (laughs) posts and see the link there. Please, whatever you can give, uh, we'd greatly appreciate it. So I'm going to bring up Jim Weiss, who is the founder and chairman of Real Chemistry. Jim is obviously a terrific guy. He happens to be a Warriors fan. I happen to see that in your profile. We're not going to hold that against him. The Lakers are going to beat the Warriors as they do pretty much every year but with that (laughs) this is called knowing your room bad move (laughs) thank you for having me
2: do this you're very brave Um, (laughs) at this time yeah I I can't believe there's anyone here really um, just because I thought this was the time everyone went to drink after a long day (laughs) so the panel amazing group Got Senator Josh Becker from California. We got Chairman of Bio, Ted Love, he's got a lot of other titles. And Julie Gerberding, who's now running the foundation of the National Institutes of Health, but has served at Merck and CDC and many other places. I wanted to start and set the stage a little bit with a little bit of research. My friends from Maha Global you know, put Together, you know, just a thought, uh, not going to be surprising. They're a great platform that measures reputation. But anyway, they did an analysis and it shows that perception scores for biotech, pharma, healthcare are among the lowest of any industry. Not, I mean, surprising to me, but not probably to anybody. And worse, they are on par with those in oil and gas. <laughs> And no offense to JP Morgan, the financial industry. Not exactly really the company we want to be in at this time after all the work that's been done in COVID and cancer and all the rest. I don't think you're shocked. The biopharma industry is the highest scoring though in actual behavior and really how it treats employees, the environment, and communities at large. There's some hope there and I think it really lends to what we're gonna talk about. The research also shows that meaningful changes in behavior can impact perception and reputation and that together these changes impact share price, which is what a lot of folks at this particular meeting care about the most. So our goal really today is talking about a (laughs) reputation reboot. We don't think you can do that through campaigns. We don't think you can do that through promises or PR. You really have to do it by being a mensch. You know, and some of you may not know what that is, but that's really being um, a citizen, you know, a a corporate citizen. And we were talking, Julie and I were talking about it back in the day if you were building a plant in a community, the way you did it is you just got to know the local politicians and the schools and the people and you gave back to those people. So that's the idea of Life Science Cares. I think you have a quote, did you get that quote? Sure, sure. Um, From. This guy, Abraham Lincoln, um, that Julie and I found that we really liked, and we thought we'd start with that.
3: Yeah, Ed Lincoln, 1860, said, character is like a tree, reputation is its shadow. We think the shadow is the real thing but it's really character that's real. And I I think kind of when I was thinking about life science cares, the question we have to ask ourselves in this space is what is our character and how do we demonstrate our character? So we concentrate on our reputation, which can be a top-down thing or a talked-about thing, but actually it's our character that really determines how people see us, and that means rubbing elbows and really individually and collectively engaging with the communities we serve in truly meaningful partnerships and respectful engagement.
2: And you've had a lot of experience with that, right? I try. um, Particularly (laughs) at MRF. So, Ted, you were foundational in a big breakthrough that we've been talking about over the last few weeks, right? In sickle cell, with one of the first drugs approved in so many years with global blood therapeutics. I mean, how is it that the industry that does that has this reputation? I mean, how could we... And why do you think that is? And then the other big thing I wanted to ask you, because I don't think people know that you were really one of the founding forces of the San Francisco chapter and why that came about and how. Can you give us a little history? Maybe I'll start with a little bit of a story about my daughter.
4: My daughter was in college. I was at GBT, and I remember having conversations about healthcare and the pharmaceutical industry with her. And her views were very typical, I think, of many Americans that we make these therapies, they're too expensive, I personally make too much money. I mean, she just had a lot of very strong negative feelings. I decided to encourage her to come and work for GPT. And she did, she came and she worked for GPT for a summer. And I remember one evening we got in the car to drive back into the city, and she turned to me and she said, you're not going to believe anything I'm going to say next. But I had never imagined something like this could exist, where there are a group of people who work so hard and are so dedicated to a mission of helping people and there is no focus on money. Mm It's not about themselves, it's about these people. And I said, you know, that is what biotech is. So there is an enormous disconnect between who we are. I think this is true for Axeluxis. And in many ways, I think the big companies have much of the same going on there, but we really are not getting that across to people. The other maybe thing I'll add is that when GBT started to work in sickle cell, one of the things that we knew is there was a terrible amount of distrust between the sickle cell community and, quite frankly, the whole healthcare system, not just drug companies, the whole healthcare system. And a lot of that is because that group of people have been systematically discriminated against over the years, and they know it. So, when we started to build a company, Jim, we realized that we needed to overcome that distrust. So I remember I would go to sickle cell meetings all around the country. I'd go do sickle cell walks. I did all these things, and we didn't even have a product. We didn't have anything in the clinic. I was doing this because I wanted them to know that we might make a product one day, but our desire to help you actually proceeds us even having a product that we might make profits from. And I will tell you, just to wrap up, that when GBT was acquired by Pfizer, I got so many emails and phone calls and it was really as if people said, you know, you were part of our community, you were part of us, and it really is sad to see GBT not be an independent company. So I do think who we are is extraordinary i think gbt is just one example but we've got to do a better job of really making people feel who we are and it may be starting with our family members like my daughter uh really understanding who our industry industry is and not believing that we're just an industry that's the reason that you have a high copay when you go to cvs
2: well that's i'm glad josh is here because when you campaign i know it's door to door and this is a little door-to-door on a lot of levels, but District 13 encompasses a lot of our biopharma world. right? What do you hear, what's the general perception and what's your view of the industry, how we work together, public-private partnership and how important that is? So I feel like to regress to 1992, for those of you that were around then, um, I worked with Ted at this little startup called Genentech And we did learn a lot there. We learned a lot. And we were told you can't do ads. Mm -hmm. You've got to do community outreach support. You've got to do it online. You've got to do things that help the community. So cystic fibrosis, growth hormone. I mean, we were dealing with a lot of orphan diseases then before we then, of course, launched Traceptin. And that was really one of the great, I'd say community driven breast cancer organization that they were like, you have to, you have that from the ground up, right? And when you're doing innovation, you need that audience. For you all, as legislators and and politicians, I've found we always had such a good relationship with you. I mean, Anna, asked you going back for many years, so I'd love to hear your perspective as a, a government official.
5: Yeah, well, it's interesting. I have a bit of a different perspective then of my colleagues, because I started, helped start a biotech company a number of years ago, that wasn't my sector, it was more tech and, and clean tech, but it was something, my dad had a cancer thing, and I had a friend who had therapy, and well, you know, we got involved, and i tell this story, and it's like, when you're in democratic politics, people are like, wagging your finger, like, big pharma, big pharma, da, da, you know, and then like, when you're a biotech entrepreneur, you're like, please, big pharma, help us, help, help us, us, please, you know, like, you know, and you're just trying to get attention, so it's just a very different perspective because I have a sense of how difficult it is and personal experience, you know, how difficult it is to bring drugs to market. And also, also, you know, I came from venture capital. I was at Brentwood venture capital, which did a healthcare and IT before it split up as a lot of firms did at that time in the late nineties. And I joined the Redpoint side, but you know, kept in touch with some of the folks who then formed other firms on the either pure biotech side or mixed life sciences side. So. I have a sense of how hard it is, and most people don't, right? And that's one of the things we were talking about earlier. So I think, you know, when you check from this area, clearly the economic development piece, you know, just the economic benefit is strong, uh, as we've seen biotech really start in South San Francisco and then come down the peninsula. I think there's still, you know, 7 million square feet of new biotech space being developed right now in my district. For us then to take that next step to our colleagues and say why it's important, then we need Those stories, and even when I was running, you know, I approached. Oh, I'll reach out to a couple of big companies, and they said, "Oh, well, you got to call our government affairs in Sacramento, or call, oh, call those folks who are in Boston." Like they weren't here locally, and then and the industry itself. I'd say, and I think Life Science Cares has been part of now ch- starting to change this, but there wasn't as much an identification with the industry in the political circles or in the general public circles. So, you know, again, there's a, some recognition of, hey, it's an important industry, but not a lot of understanding of all the dimensions of the industry the big companies, the medium sized companies, the startups, yeah, know. you know, how hard it is. And then, what is beyond the economic benefit, what are companies doing in our area? And I'll stop there. We'll talk
2: right, and about that. They don't know the difference of size of company, right? Cause you were at Merck, Julie. So your experience in Rahway, New Jersey.
0: well I
3: didn't work in Rahway
2: (laughs) White House station I don't know which one I never know which headquarters
3: yeah but I think um, I'll just give you a small anecdote from a previous point in my life I was became aware that in the Bay Area there were huge disparities in the incidence of dental caries this was before the water was more uniformly fluoridated I was involved in trying to advocate for better water for prevention of tooth decay. So I called up the CEO of one of the most important companies on the peninsula, and I'm not going to say which one, but I was explaining that in your backyard, there are children whose teeth are rotting away. And we need your policy support to change this. And the person said to me, well, you need to understand we're a global company. We do not have a backyard. And I said, well, who landscapes your property, cleans your house? It was a psychology of, not in our backyard in a very different frame on what that means and you know i hope that person has gone on to mend their ways but it really woke me up to the fact that that idea of the company town that you referenced when you first started talking really is not very common anymore and that it is really easy to feel like you're doing top down things as a company that you believe are helping your social responsibility agenda but until you really engage in the community and really understand what are the problems as experienced in this community, what kind of partnership could be helpful, roll up your sleeves, volunteer. During COVID, when we were at pre-vaccine, when the hospitals were overflowing, and there was a strong sense of urgency, at least in the Northeast, about overwhelmed healthcare systems and two patients on a ventilator. Merck realized that we had a lot of doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and other licensed health professions in our workforce, hundreds of them. And so we created a network with Pfizer and with Lilly to say, couldn't we find a way to release our licensed healthcare providers to volunteer to support maybe not the intensive care of COVID patients, but in whatever way they could contribute to trying to help relieve the health worker shortage. That was really one of the first times that I really experienced what it was like to feel the responsibility of the opportunity that you have as as an organization to really engage and give back at the community level. I mean, we let our employees put their own lives on the line to go out and try to be part of the solution during a health crisis. That's an extreme example, but I think it illustrates really what Life science Cares is Well, that's cares, the work they're about. doing.
2: That is what Life Sciences yeah, cares, science cares is yeah. doing. And that's what we can do more of with more resource, which is what we're trying to get done here. I'm not sure if people understand on a
4: granular level how Life Science Cares, at least in the Bay Area, came about. Yeah, I wanted you to tell that story. I don't even remember a few years ago, there was all this blight really starting about San Francisco and the homelessness and people on the street. A group of CEOs, I was one of them, started thinking about J.P. Morgan. And the stereotype of JP Morgan is that a bunch of rich investors come into town, spend $1,000 or $2,000 a night for hotel rooms, and we're literally stepping over homeless people. We decided that we should not just talk about the problem. We could be part of the solution. In fact, we could be leaders in the solution. So I agreed to call Jamie Dimon, and asked for a million dollars that we would announce at the JP Morgan Conference. The JP Morgan Conference is gonna be leading saying, we're gonna do something about fighting homelessness and, and the enormous disparities in our society. And we did it. And we've had companies, great companies like Gilead, small companies contributing individuals contributing, and we are making great progress. Our goal is actually to raise, George Kingos and I said this very early on, we wanna raise and give away $10 million every year to affect more equality in our society, and part of our program now is to take those students that are looking at Genentech and not knowing what Genentech is about and give them a, a summer internship at Gilly. i give them a summer internship uh, at our companies, even the small companies, and begin to make them feel like we are part of their community. And I think that's what you were pointing out, because this is our backyard and we care about our backyard. And not only are we trying to help the patients through our medicines, we can help our community be stronger and more prosperous. And that's what life science care is all about.
2: And so Josh what else should we be doing what does the community need you know visibility is important so in San
5: Mateo County Mm -hmm. is a county which uh, historically people have gotten along and there's one event called the progress seminar where basically business groups and labor groups and community groups and nonprofits all go up to Napa for one weekend of events I think it was significant that Alex Hardy when he was CEO of Genentech would come personally like he actually, you no, know, his wife happens to be involved in, in a lot of these San Mateo County efforts. But like he was actually there at the and and, it, and basically, if you're there that one weekend, you see everyone. You know, all the elected officials, all the community groups, all the labor groups. You know, all there that one. Uh, I think he'll
2: still come a, because they're down. You know, Bio Marin is yeah. down. Yeah, well, hopefully, he'll still Marin. come. Yeah. Uh,
5: they moved. But by Marin. you know, the, my point is that, that really that one weekend, if you have a presence there, and, and there's a few other companies that send people, but not a lot. You see everyone. You know, so the visibility just w- w- there at an event like that, you know, just showing up means a lot. So that's sort of, you know, on the visibility side, number one, number two is locally at city councils, like having, you know, we're, we're fortunate, we I represent a lot of small cities, and so each city here, whether it be San Carlos, that there's increasing biotech presence, or Redwood City, we're increasing biotech presence, or, you know, of course, South San Francisco, Burlingame, increasing biotech presence, you know, having people show up at the city council meetings and have that visibility there and talk about life science care, right? If you said, hey, we want five minutes to talk about life science cares, I'm sure they'd say, yeah, great, great. we'd love to hear what, what is down. going on. So those are, are two things. And then I'd say, uh, third, for life science cures directly. Again, it provides that kind of focal point in the community, and having issues out there at all these events, you know, that is like is sort of a personal manifestation of the industry. But it's still helpful, even when even when companies are doing good work on their own, to have kind of a third party, so to speak, that's kind of out there saying, "Hey, here's sort of the 17 kind of portfolio organizations we're working with this year, and here we're doing is really helpful. It puts a a face and a something that people can really identify with with the industry,
2: and we'll take a page out of the Warriors' book. Um, the Warriors Foundation really operates similarly, right? And they give a lot back to, you know, local charities. It's the same like sports teams in particular. We we did pro bono work for years for the Giants around their um, Junior Giants program. Those are real things that get done, and what Ted's saying is there are actual real things like what you guys went out and did, Julie. But let me ask, as since you both lead national now organizations that are working in public-private partnership, is there a mandate within Biotech or will there be where these CEOs put this on their agenda as a thing to think about as citizens in the biotech industry? It seems like an opportunity now that you're there.
4: Yeah, one of the key things that I've focused on as Chair of Bio is reframing the narrative. If I were going to give a call to action to people, I would say, it starts with your family even. I mean, in my family, there was a negative view of our industry. Uh, not with my wife, fortunately, and <laughs> not, with, not with me, but with our children. And part of it was because they didn't understand what we do. And all she saw was the external framing of who we are. So we've got to, as individuals, communicate what we do. We love working for Iliad. We love working for Exilex. We love being investors in these companies. And we've got to explain to people why we're doing this. And I also think that we've got to talk about the fact that when COVID struck, we were worried that people homeless in San Francisco were going to get COVID and die. So what did life science care do? We organized vaccination programs. The vaccination rate for the homeless people in San Francisco was just as high as the vaccination rate in Pacific Heights. That's great. And it was because of Life Science Cares. So we can save lives. Even, and you don't have to be you know, a high level scientist to be doing that. We had all our employees making care packages because we knew when we gave people the vaccine, some of them would get fevers. So we had little care packages that said Life Science Cares. So there are homeless people in the city who know that Life Science Cares cares about them. So I think we've got to do a lot more of that. And I think we're capable of doing it. And Life Science Cares is a, a great venue for our companies, small and large, to plug into this effort that will reframe our narrative.
2: Sorry, Joe Biden's calling. Um, I'm not kidding. It said Joe Biden. I don't know why. Um, I really don't think it's him. Could be, though. But who knows?
0: Have you set 2024 goals to support your clients and colleagues? Planning on increasing your organization's visibility in corporate philanthropy? Or maybe networking with mission-minded industry leaders or giving back to your community? Consider sponsoring a Life Science Cares Impact event and hit all of those goals at once. Whether it's an Impact Breakfast, Impact Festival, or Impact Reception, each LSC affiliate brings together a who's who of industry stakeholders to celebrate our collective impact and raise funds critical for our community partnerships. Email development at lifesciencecares.org to learn more about sponsorship.
2: Julie, speaking of the Jill government, <laughs> <laughs> no, speaking of the government, do you think FNIH and the work we do there can dovetail and support reputation, certainly, you know, since that's yeah,
3: so, a lot. I know um, you
2: deal with it right with the Congress every day. So
3: I, I just wanted to tag on to something Ted said, because he's he's kind of modest, but I served with Ted um, on Executive board of bio for a few years and you know one of the things about biotech writ large is it's everywhere it's in many congressional districts it's in many 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 communities and the power of that local opportunity is something that we sometimes overlook when we're trying to influence policy or help policymakers understand what's important about our industry but it's also the inverse is the opportunity that we have at a very local level to engage and build that network of understanding to kind of counterbalance not just the reputational issues um, but also the misinformation, et cetera. But from the standpoint of FNIH, many of you probably don't know what FNIH is. It's a nonprofit organization that was authorized by Congress to help NIH accomplish its mission because you know the government can't really work easily with the private sector. So we build private-public partnerships that include many large and small biopharmaceutical companies, academicians, and foundations, as well as more recently with patient research organizations to solve pre-competitive challenges in the space. For example, we just launched eight clinical trials for rare diseases using gene therapy, not to solve the problem of rare diseases necessarily, but to help develop the regulatory standards for manufacturing as well as approval. So just trying to be a catalyst to move the whole system forward fast One of our three focal areas as a foundation, number one is science partnerships, number two is scientists, and number three is trust in science. And I think this is the place where our network is huge. There's an organization called the Coalition for Trust in Health and Science that I'm part of. Um, many other people are engaged. More than 90 health organizations are participating now. But when you add up the membership of these health professional organizations, it's hundreds of thousands of people. And if we share accurate information and counterbalance some of the disinformation were incredibly powerful and part of that effort could also include reputational efforts that really explain the value of life science industries and the tremendous value that we bring to people so there's so much opportunity but we have to participate socially um, in our communities and you know be catalysts within our own organizations
2: do we think it's more money or more people there's probably no silver bullet right there's not one thing everybody has to join toward it what do you think the secret is josh what, what do we have to do better you know there's storytelling but do you think government understands it they probably don't you did because you came from the industry but for the most part they don't you know we're all When you're representative, you're uh, a product of your
5: community. So that's the community groups, that's the labor unions, that's the the broader business community, and that's sort of who we see on a regular basis. When we go to events, you know, you tend to see the same people. By the way, I think again there could be more visibility, as we've discussed. You know, in the ways I discussed, whether it be a conference like Progress, whether it be uh, you know a city council meeting, whether it be showing up at at community events and and community fairs through uh, Life Science Cares or directly. We are all products of our community. So again, the more touch points we have, the better. So we're gonna we have a a large budget deficit in California, as you may have heard. The governor's gonna come out tomorrow with his budget. You know, one thing that would be a target is the tax credit for the biotech tax tax credit. And so when we talk about that, we'll obviously why we need that, we'll talk about the economic benefit. But the more the members themselves who also say, Hey, and I see the impact of this industry in my area, in my local community that's going to be
2: helpful. As long as they're making it better, right? Not only employing, but doing good in the community. Yeah. Hopefully it's not
5: bad in the community. Well, I mean, doing nothing, uh, doing nothing. Yeah. yeah, Doing nothing.
2: Yeah. Doesn't help. Julie, you you mentioned going in and talking, you know, when we were in the throes of COVID, you were going out and talking to employees of Merck with the idea that you would get them to take the vaccine because you wanted them to stay at their jobs but there was an approach you took that was different i think right that was a little more humanistic maybe that's something we also need to When we say cares, what do we mean by cares?
3: Cares is not about pontificating or telling, it's about listening. But I was really nervous because we needed to keep the manufacturing at Merck running during COVID because we make important medicines besides the COVID medicines that people really depend on. And we needed to keep our manufacturing team healthy, of course. can work from home. So there was a real reluctance and our manufacturing was distributed all over the United States. So they were in communities where the background vaccination rate might be 40% or less. And so, you know, just through a series of very quiet town hall meetings of mainly listening, answering questions, trying to provide accurate information and listening it was a kind of a process of meeting people where they are. I told Jim I was leaving one of these plants in a small community, and one of the union leaders followed me out, and he said, Doc, what you said in there makes so much sense, but how do I explain it to my wife? And it really helped me appreciate that it isn't just the people in the organization that you can directly influence. You have to deal with their unit, their peer, their family, because those are the places where people make decisions based on their beliefs, not on what they know. And the only way to really influence a belief system is to listen, be honest, help provide hopefully balanced and helpful information, but also to recognize that telling is not the answer advertising is not the answer. The answer is listening and trying to find a third path that leads people to make a better health decision. It was um, a really humbling experience, but it actually worked because our manufacturing employees had greater than 95% of vaccine coverage. So it was, pretty, it was pretty good. And I don't take credit for that, but I'm just saying that we managed to avoid a major, a major issue.
5: You know, we were talking um, about Project OnRamp, one of the initiatives at Life Science Cares, and I do think that's really critical for, you know, community to see if there is a pathway into the industry because they may not, again, understand the industry or understand who these companies uh, are, you know, especially with names they don't understand. who are not household names. And so getting to schools is really important. And we can find ways because that pipeline starts at a young age. That helps the visibility as well as actually building that pipeline if we can get into schools and start telling people about the industry and what are the pathways into the industry.
2: So, Ted, how do we know it's working? When we're looking back a few Mm -hmm. years from now, let's say five years from now, what do you hopes changed?
4: Well, I mean, these surveys are done, as you referred to in the beginning. I do hope that we get back to where we were probably 30 years ago. I think it was about 30 years ago that Roy Vagelos was... Well, more than
3: 30 now. Maybe,
4: yeah. Well, yeah. So, so I, know, I am. But he was man of the year, and Merck was company of the year. I think we need to build trust. It's very easy to lose trust, but it takes a long time mm-hmm. to build trust. And I think we can build trust... Through our actions locally, you mentioned the programs where we bring students in. I mentioned getting in our community, trying to be helpful uh, in simple ways. I mean, providing, you know, supporting uh, stand up efforts to do vaccinations during COVID. I think we can do some things also on a bigger scale. I mean, I'm spending time with elected officials increasingly, and I don't go into their offices and say, I hate you, you did RA. you're trying to kill our industry. I go in and I say, look, we should have shared objectives. We want great innovative therapies to solve medical problems, to, to feed the world more efficiently, to deal with global warming. But we want these products to be accessible. That's what we both want. We may disagree on the tools and the approach to solve that, but let's get together and figure out how to solve that. And that's how I'm approaching, trying to maybe fix some of the elements of the IRA. I'm not trying to tell them the world's on fire, my hair's on fire, you're running us out of business. It won't work. We've done too much of that in the past and we've even denied some of the mistakes that we've made. Uh, So I think we've got to build trust with people that don't trust us and we've got to demonstrate that we care to communities that we're part of.
2: During COVID, we had a lot of those same issues and by putting a black nurse up on television taking the first vaccine that was somewhat helpful and what we were trying to do there is to show and to humanize Yeah. the more we can do that i often remind people given what we do in our business for you guys is to help you humanize it and when we do when you did the patient forums on keytruda and merck and made it about that each and every one patient at a time, I think it made a very big difference.
3: The best moment to help people understand our values when they need us most, but that's not exactly the time to have a conversation about our reputation or earning trust. It's really a time to have a conversation about how else can I help you. And yet those one-on-one lived experiences are incredibly important. And for me, the surrogate way of helping build that intersection is through legitimate and meaningful patient engagement to really have um, the patient community be part of the end-to-end decisions that we make at FNIH for example, we now have a patient leader, a patient counsel, a patient ambassador program, etc just so that every day not not just from an outside in perspective but everybody working at the foundation knows who we are really working for and that, It seems like a check the box kind of thing if you take it at face value, but if you really live that, it really does change the way you think and it builds your character as an organization so that ultimately, I believe if you do that well, your reputation will follow.
5: Any last thoughts? I did have a last thought. If I can, because uh, I know not everyone is from California, from here, you know, if I can help be a translator, given my back background, if I can help be a translator between, you know, your companies, the sector, the industry as a whole,
2: um, with government in your local area, let me know. It's just Josh. He's got to be careful what he, you know, asks for around this crowd. Uh, yeah, but yeah, you'll be tapped a lot. Yeah. yeah.
5: But it's, yeah, josh.becker at scn.ca.gov. That's it, <laughs> let me know.
2: <laughs> Give it to my campaign. No, okay. <laughs> that's a different conversation. That's a different conversation. Well, I definitely hope that the companies that we work with and for, you know, do it for real. You know, that's what I we try to encourage. It's gotta be part of our culture. And having done great in this business over many years working in it, I spend a lot of my time now with life science cares and fnih and cancer research institute i mean that's all we can do i know nina you're doing that jeff you know you're here Um, we got to get more of our colleagues you know out there once they know about it i swear they really love it they really dig it we just got to get more people recruited into the club so next year assuming we do this again full room yeah you know Mm -hmm. that kind of thing but we gotta get our stake in the ground and get started now. I'm really proud to be part of it. And it makes me feel better working in the industry to have it. And I just
4: want to encourage everyone in the room to do everything you can do personally and influence everyone that you can touch to make sure that we get the full Gilead match of the 250.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right.
0: Moving Forward, Giving Back is a podcast by Life Science Cares. You can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please subscribe. And if you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. You can learn more about Life Science Cares by visiting the show notes or life